Welcome to another edition of the Football Fix Podcast. I'm your host, The Football Fix. For my best work, you can find me on Instagram at the.football.fix. Or if you want to hear me ramble and rant about sports and other things, you can find me on Twitter at the FB Fix. Welcome to the show. Now, a few days ago, I released what is probably my biggest post since I made this account about 14 months ago both in size, both in content, and also in controversy. I release an article, 4,200 words, titled, Running Backs Don't Matter, an in-depth and data-driven examination of the true value of running backs in modern professional football. Now, I know 4,200 words is a lot to read, so this podcast will be an audio version of the article. If you've haven't read the article yet and you just want to listen to audio this is for you if you've already read the article but you still want to listen absorb more information that you might not have uh, internalized the first time this is for you as well enjoy introduction a running back in professional football is like a spoiler on a car buying an expensive spoiler makes the car look flashy and garners more attention from the general public but it only marginally helps the actual performance of your car You don't need a good spoiler to make a cross-country road trip, but you do need an engine, tires, and a transmission. Look, I don't know much about cars, but I do know a lot about football. The running back position is nothing more than a luxury piece that shouldn't be invested in with any significant capital until just about every other positional need has been sufficiently addressed on a team. In other words, running backs in professional football don't matter. The general public has been brainwashed by the teachings of the TV talking head and old school football coach. All you hear is that you need to establish the run. You need to physically impose your will against the opponent. You need toughness. You need grit. Ruff, 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 ruff. The truth is, that's all a bunch of baloney. In modern professional football, it's an efficient passing attack and a good defense, not elite running back play, that wins championships. And isn't winning championships the ultimate goal? Now, let's look at positional value. The term elite in football can be applied to any position. Julio Jones is an elite wide receiver. Von Miller is an elite pass rusher. Patrick Peterson is an elite cornerback. Justin Tucker is an elite kicker and so on. There are multiple running backs in professional football that are considered elite, but the way we determine positional value is deeper than just the label of elite on a player. It's all about how a player can contribute toward winning above or below the contributions of an average replacement level player at their same position. Ezekiel Elliott is an elite running back, but what he contributes to a team's overall success above or below what an average running back contributes pales in comparison to what a quarterback brings to the table. Positional value is the same reason why we don't draft punters in the first round and give long snappers $10 million a year contracts. These guys still have roles in their teams, and there are still elite players at their positions, but their impact overall is only marginal. When teams utilize running backs heavily, it's a slightly different story, but the same principles apply. When you make a running back the feature part of an offense, they're obviously going to have a greater impact relative to the other players on the team, but that impact won't contribute to success relative to other offenses in the league. That's why there have been almost no teams in recent memory that have had real success with a run-heavy approach. Look at Ezekiel Elliott and the Dallas Cowboys as an example. Dallas spent the fourth overall pick on Zeke in the 2016 draft, and he has undoubtedly had a major impact on his offense since, but that's not necessarily a good thing. 
a run-centric offense in 2018, led the Cowboys finishing 22nd in total offense and 24th in offensive efficiency, efficiency, according to Football Outsiders. Elliott has a major role on a below-average offense that isn't positively contributing to the team's overall success relative to other offenses in the league. He's an elite running back, but his major role has led to a poor offense. At the end of the day, the running back position has a very marginal impact on a team's overall success, and when they're heavily utilized, it can actually hinder a team. Therefore, they have a very low positional value. Now let's examine the replaceability. The diminishing value and replaceability of the running back in modern pro football is apparent when you look at the positional salary trends in the last 10 years. According to Spotrac, the salary of running backs have the lowest growth of any position in football since 2007. When looking at annual salaries a decade ago, running backs were receiving average to high in salaries relative to other positions. But in 2018, their average annual salaries are only higher than punters and kickers. The reason that the average running back is being paid about half as much as they were being paid in the early 2000s is because teams are finally starting to realize that productive running backs grow on trees. David Johnson, Alvin Kamara, Devonta Freeman, James White, Kareem Hunt, James Conner, Philip Lindsay, Tariq Cohen, Aaron Jones, Chris Carson, Jay Ajayi, Jordan Howard, Marlon Mack, Alex Collins, Jerick McKinnon, Tevin Coleman, those guys were all drafted in either the third round or later in the last five drafts, not including the 2019 draft. Believe it or not, that's really only scratching the surface. In fact, there have been 44 1,000-plus scrimmage yard seasons from running backs drafted in the third round or later since 2014. 44 in five seasons. I consider the 1,000-yard mark to be an objective threshold of a successful season in terms of production. Some might argue that I should increase the mark to 1,200 yards or 1,300 yards to truly separate the elite production from the good, not great 1,000-yard mark. But the thing is, elite running back production doesn't actually equate to a team's success, so what's the point? Look at Adrian Peterson's historically productive season, for example. Peterson just came eight yards short of beating Eric Dickerson's single-season rushing yards record. However, Peterson led that Vikings offense to a 20th-ranked total offense and a 24-10 loss in the wildcard round of the Packers. The second-greatest rushing season in the history of the entire league was enough to earn Minnesota a below-average offense, and a first-round playoff exit. Running back replaceability doesn't stop at the draft, though. The elite workhorse running backs of today have had their production replaced by their backups on numerous occasions. With Le'Veon Bell sitting out the 2018 season because of contract disputes, second-year running back James Conner took over and replaced him seamlessly. Conner was less productive from a yardage standpoint because of less opportunity, but finished with two more touchdowns, a higher yards per carry, a higher yards per touch, a higher breakaway run rate, and a much higher production premium, which is a situational advanced efficiency metric, all better than Bell had in 2017. Even when you look at the more individualized performance metrics, Conner kept pace with Bell. Bell's 22.4% evaded tackles per touch rate was only 0.2% higher than Connor's, and Bell's 1.16 yards created per carry was only 0.04 yards per carry greater. When Ezekiel Elliott was suspended in 2017, the Cowboys offense struggled, which even furthered the narrative that the offense was dependent on Zeke's availability. However, the lack of rushing production wasn't the issue for Dallas in 2017. Per number fires J.J. Zacharyson, Alfred Morris's 4.76 yards per carry was actually better than Elliott's 4.06 yards per carry that season, and his 43.39% success rate was only 0.09% lower than Zeke's. And no, Morris didn't outperform Elliott because opposing defense didn't, quote, focus on him and stack the box as much. According to Next Gen Stats, 
Morris faced eight-man boxes at a rate 3.14% higher than Elliott in 2017. People were saying that Leonard Fournette's rookie season was absolutely transcendental and that he was the reason that Jaguars turned around and made it to the conference championships. Maybe a historically efficient defense played a bigger factor than Fournette, but don't tell that to the football cavemen. Even when you look at the efficiency metrics, you can see how his impact was blown out of proportion. In 2017, Fournette's 3.88 yards per carry was 0.65 yards per carry, lower than all of his teammates. His 38.33% success rate was lower than both teammates TJ Eldon and Corey Grant, and his overall success rate ranked 37th amongst 47 running backs with 100-plus carries. Some believe that Fournette's inefficiency was because he was forced to face stacked boxes often, but this actually didn't negatively impact him at all. Fournette's 3.6 yards per carry against stacked boxes isn't bad but his 3.3 yards per carry against light fronts was abysmal. Fournette was actually even more inefficient with less defenders in the box. Even though there wasn't an opportunity to see the full extent of Fournette's replaceable production in 2017, the numbers suggest that any league average running back would outproduce him if they were given the same volume and the same offense. Now let's look at the interdependability of the running back position. Not only is the running back position replaceable, but it's also one of the most interdependent positions in the league. To an extent, every position in football is interdependent because it's a team game, but running backs rely on five offensive linemen and a tight end to make holes for them. In order to produce, they rely on a productive offense overall to provide efficient opportunity. A bad offensive line and slash or a bad offensive system leads to inefficient production or poor production overall. It's not about the quality of the running back as much as it's about the quality of the system. Let's look at C.J. Anderson as an example when he was airdropped into a productive Rams offense that ranked second in both total offense and offensive efficiency in 2018. Starting running back Todd Gurley's numbers put him in the thick of the MVP conversation for most of the season, but a knee injury forced him out of the final two regular season games. On December 18th, the Rams signed free agent C.J. Anderson off the street, and he put up 162 total yards and a touchdown against the Cardinals five days later. The next week, Anderson tallied 151 total yards and another touchdown against the 49ers. In the playoffs when it matters the most, Anderson not out only outtouched and outproduced Gurley in the divisional round, but he kept Gurley on the bench in the NFC Championship game and for much of the Super Bowl. The main reason Anderson was so successful was because the run blocking for him was extraordinary. The Rams' 100.6 run blocking efficiency grade when Anderson was in the backfield was the highest for any running back in the league in 2018. Look at the Chiefs' backfield with Damian Williams and Kareem Hunt. Hunt was one of the most productive running backs in the league in both 2017 and 2018. When he was abruptly released from the team midseason, Williams came in and actually outproduced Hunt. Let's look at things from a different perspective. Fantasy points, which at the end of the day is an overall measure of production. Hunt averaged 20.9 fantasy points per game, which was the 8th best amongst running backs in 2018. In the last 6 games of the Chiefs' season, including the playoffs, Williams produced 24.8 fantasy points per game, which would have been the highest per game total, only behind Todd Gurley in 2018. How did Williams, a guy who flamed out with the Miami Dolphins and never had more than 50 carries in a season, produce so well so fast? It's because of the offense he was playing in. The Chiefs ranked first in the league in both total offense and offensive efficiency in 2018. The offensive system and players surrounding the running back is what matters the most, not the running back himself. Now, let's look at the injury history and career length of the running back. When talking about why teams shouldn't invest significant salary cap space or draft capital on a running back, the issue of durability is very important. The running back position is brutal to begin with. 
Every high-impact collision can be comparable to a small car crash, and the repeated trauma on all parts of the body take a toll. According to the NFLPA, running backs have the shortest average career length out of any position at 2.57 years per player. The Wall Street Journal suggests that wide receivers actually have a slightly shorter career length, but the high-end receivers often have longer careers than the high-end running backs do. No matter what figure or source you believe, at the end of the day, the facts suggest that a running back's career length is very short. In a study conducted by the Journal of Physical Activity and Health, the running back position in football had the highest percentage of injury for any one position at 16.3%. The only other two positions above that 10% mark were wide receivers at 11.9% and linebackers at 14.9%. Brown University even used helmet sensors in 2011 to, term, to determine that running backs take the hardest hits out of any position as well. Due to the nature of the position, running backs are more susceptible to injury and have a shorter average career length than any other position. I respect the individuals that risk their bodies for our entertainment playing football. And in a perfect world, these guys would all get bigger, fully guaranteed contracts. Unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world, and the NFL is a salary cap league. Look at Todd Gurley, who in the 2018 offseason signed a huge four-year, $57.5 million extension with the Rams. One year later in 2019, Gurley's future is in doubt as he deals with arthritis in his left knee. From a team's perspective, it just doesn't make sense to make a significant investment in a running back when you look at the major issues with durability at the position. Now let's look at the opportunity cost when it comes to investing significant capital into a running back. If a team does opt to select a running back early in the draft or give them a big contract, what many people forget is the opportunity cost of doing so. Let's examine Saquon Barkley and the 2018 draft for a bit. Barkley, in my opinion, is the best running back prospect of all time. Coming out of Penn State, I think you could make the argument that he was the best player in the draft. However, this leads us back to the positional value and how the term elite needs to be considered relative to the position a player plays. Punter Michael Dixon was literally dubbed the Saquon Barkley of punters in the 2018 draft, but there's a reason why he wasn't drafted in the first round. Because he's a punter. Because his positional value is lower than, say, that of a quarterback's. That brings me to my next important point. Many people argue that the Giants' pick of Barkley number two overall over Sam Darnold was a good selection for many reasons. One argument that I saw frequently before the 2019 draft occurred was that the Giants did well to secure a generational talent in Barkley because they can simply draft the top quarterback prospect in the next draft. There are several things wrong with that logic, though. By expecting a team to have a shot at a top quarterback prospect, they'll need to have a top pick. How do teams get a top pick? by stinking in the previous season. That logic is basically a team admitting that they're okay with completely throwing away a season because they wanted to pick a running back so bad. However, the talk around the 2018 draft was that the Giants picked Barkley because they're ready to win now. Funny how quickly a narrative can change like that. Now that the 2019 draft is over, people will say things are alright because now the team has Barkley and Daniel Jones, their quarterback of the future, but they fail to recognize the opportunity cost of picking Barkley. Basically, with the sixth overall pick in 2019, the Giants could have selected an elite defensive prospect or offensive lineman if they would have drafted Darnold the year prior. What do we know about the positional value of a running back versus, say, an edge rusher? It's not even close. Not to mention, Darnold is a far superior prospect to Jones. Another argument I've seen as to why the Giants selecting Saquon was a good pick is because he's a sure thing, whereas Darnold has more bust potential. I agree with that. That is totally true. However, we have to remember that the ultimate goal is winning a Super Bowl. We've already examined that elite running back play simply doesn't lead to team success. 
but elite quarterback play is a different story. If a team is able to hit on an elite franchise quarterback, they could open a multi-year contending window. Hitting on a running back opens no contending windows. In fact, arguably the biggest advantage to a team when assembling a roster is having a capable young quarterback on a rookie contract. The difference in positional value between a quarterback and a running back is astronomical. Even if Sam Darnold busts, I'd still say he's the better pick than Barkley. Why? Because drafting Darnold, or any other good quarterback prospect for that matter, is a genuine and realistic attempt toward improving a team's chances of winning. Drafting a running back does almost nothing to help your odds of winning. Now let's look at the workhorse versus the committee. When you look around the league, the workhorse running back is a dying breed. It's not that the running backs have become less talented overall, it's just that there are seemingly more capable running backs who can fill niche roles in an offense at a cheaper price with less less injury risk, which is what makes committee backfields so much more appealing. I usually label running backs as one of three things, an early down grinder, a satellite back, or an every down back. An early down grinder is a player who's good between the tackles, but not as good as catching the football out of the backfield. A satellite back is good in the receiving game, but is generally too undersized to handle the full between the tackles carry load of a grinder. And an every down back is a guy who can handle the load of the carries and catch passes out of the backfield. Most of today's workhorses have every down skill sets, but there are plenty of every down backs in committees as well. The committee approach, if you have a decent running back that can either fill a specific role or have every down skill sets, is the much more sensible option than using the star workhorse running back. We already examined the higher chance of injury at the running back position, so by splitting touches between multiple backs, you're limiting the wear and tear on each player's body, thus reducing injury risk. Let's look at players like Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, and David Johnson from a financial perspective. Those three guys are the highest running back salaries in the league, and they are paid to be workhorses. The Rams ranked third in total rushing in 2018, which is good, but the Cardinals ranked 32nd in the league, dead last. So paying a running back big money doesn't come close to guaranteeing rushing success. Looking at Le'Veon Bell in 2017, he saw 406 total touches for 1,946 yards and 11 touchdowns. That's good numbers for an individual, but let's look at the Patriots, a team who's implemented an efficient committee approach for years now. In 2017, Deion Lewis, James White, and Rex Burkhead combined for 405 total touches, 2,228 yards, and 20 touchdowns. That trio saw one less touch than Bell yet they produced 282 more yards and 9 more touchdowns. The Patriots rostered 5 running backs for a total cap hit of $11 million, whereas the Steelers only rostered 3 running backs but had $12.4 million in cap hit in 2017, according to SpotTrack, which obviously the majority of that money was going to Bell. More money for less production. No thank you. Now let's look at the old school fallacies. If you played football as a kid or you simply turned on a mainstream football show, all you hear is that you need to establish the run. You need an elite running back to lead your offense. You need to impose your will against your opponent, play hard-nosed ball, and so on. However, when you actually look at the data that we have available to us today, most of what you hear about the running back position in football and running the ball in general isn't actually true. Let's first talk about the idea that you have to establish the run in order to wear down a defense. You'll hear from the old school football guys that as a game goes on, if you have a good running back, defenses will tire, and you'll be able to punish them even more on the ground. When you look at the data, though, in reality, the median rushing yards gained is pretty much the same in all four quarters of the game. The median rushing yards gained is also very similar when looking at the run length as it relates to previous attempts. The median yards gained for a team who just rushed the ball for the 30th time 
in a game is similar to a team who's just rushed the ball for the fifth time. There's no factual evidence that actually proves that defenses wear down against the run later in games. If anything, the evidence proves the contrary. Now, this section titled Old School Fallacies has a few graphs in it, which you obviously can't see on the audio version. So if you'd like to see it, just make sure to go to either my Instagram or Twitter, click the link in my bio, and the top link on my link tree will be titled Running Backs Don't Matter, and you'll be able to see the graphs there. But let's continue. Another fallacy you'll hear is that establishing the run actually opens up the pass, but that isn't true either. Similar to the other data I covered in the last point, there is a little difference between the median yards gained passing of different previous rushing attempts. Using data from the 2011 to 2017 NFL season, Ben Baldwin of Football Outsiders also proved that running the ball successfully had no correlation to an improved play-action pass success rate. Now, if you've been able to access the graphs and you've seen them, I know they're kind of hard to analyze, but they clearly show that there is no correlation between total rushes, rush percent, or rushing success rate and play-action passing yards per play. No evidence to prove it at all. Another thing you'll hear from the old-school football guys is that running the ball allows you to control possession for longer periods of time, and it's the best way to sustain drives. Again, when you look at the data, that isn't actually true at all either. The average number of plays in a drive as it relates to the rush ratio used on that drive isn't correlated at all. That means that how many times a team runs the ball on any given drive doesn't have any identifiable difference in the length of that same drive, according to the data. Last thing, when it comes to time of possession and sustaining drives, one classic argument is that the defense will have more time to rest, which will then allow them to play better. As you know, there's actually no evidence to support the idea that establishing the run helps sustain drives anyway, but I just wanted to smash all the old school fallacies I can as it relates to running the ball while I have your attention. I'll spare you from any more confusing graphs, but again, When you look at the data over multiple years in the NFL, there's no correlation between defensive rest time and points allowed per drive. More rest time doesn't actually make a defense perform better. Some of these old school football truisms may make some sense logically, but factually, there is no evidence to support that any of these ideas about running the football are actually true. I think it's much safer to say that the evidence actually suggests that running the ball is suboptimal in comparison to passing the football. Now, that isn't to say that a team should only pass the ball and never run. I respect the balanced, efficient offenses like the Rams and Patriots of 2018. Even though they both ranked highly in rush attempts, they weren't inefficient run-oriented teams. It's clear that the run-oriented offense in the league today have less success on average than the balanced or pass-oriented offenses. Now, tying this all back to the statement running backs don't matter. People believe in all these old-school fallacies about running the ball, which in turn leads them to believe that a running back has a greater impact on the game than they actually do. With that thought process, it makes sense why people begin to value the best of the best running backs as some of the game's most impactful players, when in reality, that's far from the truth. Conclusion If you're still with me at the end of this article, congratulations. When you look at the positional value of running backs, the replaceability, the interdependability, the lack of durability, the opportunity cost of investing significant capital in a running back, the fact that a committee approach is actually superior, and all the old-school fallacies relating to running the football in today's NFL, one thing is clear. Running backs don't matter. I hope you've been enlightened. So that's the end of the article. If you liked what you read and you want to look at the written version or you want to look at some of the graphs, just make sure to go to any of my social media uh, accounts and just click on the link tree in the bio 
in my link tree, the very first link is titled Running Backs Don't Matter, and you can get access to the written version from there. Now, it's been a while since I've made my last podcast, but between this podcast and the last one, I started something big, very, very big for the expansion of this account, and that is called the Football Fix Network. Basically, people are able to run uh, Instagram accounts about their favorite team as a part of the network, all while experiencing quicker internal growth and support from myself and the other people within the community. We have some great Football Fix accounts. We have the Lions Fix. We have the Highlights Fix. We have the Chiefs Fix, the Steelers Fix, the Saints, the Cowboys, the Jaguars, the Eagles, the Chargers, the Bears, the Falcons, the Giants, the Bucks, the Texans, the Colts, the Redskins, and the Packers. Again, you can find all of them at the.team.fix, so the.lions.fix. If you'd like to apply to run a page for uh, any of the teams that are not taken right now, you can DM me on Twitter or on Instagram. I'll give you more details uh, as to how to apply. But right now, things are going very, very well uh, as we look to expand the reach of the football fix. And last thing I wanted to talk about was my first ever draft kit for the 2019 fantasy football season. That will be released at some point, hopefully in the next week and a half or a couple weeks, I was forced to go out of town, so I couldn't quite get it cranked out as much as I wanted to in the last four or five days. But the draft kit is almost here for you, and I promise that it will be the most in-depth draft kit you have ever seen. Over 300 players ranked. Individual player write-ups for over 70 players right now, and I'm adding to that number every day. I ask people on Instagram to DM me. Tell me which player you want to see a sample of. So I can't cherry pick my best write-ups. You DM me the player name and I'll DM you the write-up. I've got nothing but amazing feedback. Here's what some of the people have had to say. Bro, do you sleep? I can't believe you have time to do this. Someone said, that stuff is dope. Wow, that's really good. Really? You do this for every player? Uh, Awesome. Look great. That sincerely helped me pick. And so on and so forth. Everybody's loving the player write-ups. If you want to see a player write a sample of your own, again, DM me. The draft kit pre-order price is only $15. $15 for 300 players ranked. Individual player write-ups. Priority DM uh, access to me all season because when the season rolls around, I will be my DMs will be flooded. But with priority DM, you'll be able to uh, ask me any starts it question, any trade questions throughout the year, and I'll make sure to get back to you first. So you get all that stuff. For just $15, but that price is only $15 for a limited time. When I initially release the draft kit, the price will raise. So if you want to get the draft kit early, if you want to get it at a cheaper price, make sure to DM me again, either on Instagram at the.football.fix or on Twitter at the FB Fix for the draft kit. Now, I hope you enjoyed this audio version of the Running Backs Don't Matter article. It took me a while to write. Yeah, you know, it took a lot of research and I've gotten a lot of backlash. It's sort of some controversy on the Instagram community, but I do love some controversy as it relates to football. So thank you again for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to see some other, you know, in-depth articles, in-depth player analysis, position analysis, etc., make sure to give me feedback. Just message me some way. Again, 
Last time, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you all later.